Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love to us, and we ask that you would help us to then display that love out to the world around us. We ask that as we look into your word this morning that you would help us in our our daily walk with you to fight anxiety, to fight fear, and to trust in you alone. May you be glorified this morning. May your spirit go forth with power. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are kind of switching gears a a little bit here, and we're going to be talking about worrying or anxiety. Why are we going to do that? Because you as well as I know that there are a million different things about which we can be anxious or fearful. Having to fly from Ireland to the U.S. and then travel across the entire country in a car, that can be stressful. But then so can our jobs, so can money issues, so can family We live in a very anxious, ridden world. And so my goal for this morning is I want to help firmly plant your feet in the soil of the kingdom of God so that as you look out into the unknown future and all you see is this this haze and you don't know what's coming, whether it's strife or blessing, whether it's war or peace, whether it's loss of job or promotion or if it's continued life or death. You can't tell what tomorrow will bring. You need not worry. Earlier this year in March, Lynn Terry wrote an article for the Oregonian in which she describes that the the U.S. now has this collective um, anxious state about it. She writes, quote, from blue states in the West to red states in the South, the divisive partisanship that defined the campaign and in the Trump administration's turbulent first two months appear to have created a collective angst psychologists say. So there's this collective angst among Americans right now. Or how about this from the New York Times? This is from June of this year, so just a month ago. In an article titled, Prozac Nation is Now the United States of Xanax. Alex Williams, uh, who cites uh, Miss Sarah Fader, who said, quote, if you're a human being living in 2017 and you're not anxious, there's something wrong with you. And then later in the article, he cites Kat Kanzman, the author of a book called Hey Anxiety, who says, in addition to the normal chaos of being a human being, there is what almost feels like weaponized uncertainty thrown at us on a daily basis. And so apparently in the U.S., everybody's anxious. And if you're not anxious, you're weird. And so there's these, these grand things around us that, that are causing anxiety, but maybe you're not thinking in such grand terms. Maybe it's more to your own life. Maybe you're thinking, well, I don't know what's going to happen to my job this year. Or, well, I have to start a new school, and that's kind of nerve-wracking. Or uh, maybe it's, it's this relationship I have with this individual. I don't know where it's going to be this year. It seems, it seems like there's a lot of tension. Or maybe it's, I'm not sure if this illness is finally going to take me or my family member or my friend. There are a thousand different things that can rob us of our peace and faith. And there are a thousand circumstances that can make us worry and fret and be anxious. So what is God's word to us today? To set our minds aright so that we don't have to be anxious and have this attitude that apparently everybody in the U.S. has. Well, that's what we're going to look at today. So hopefully you're still at Luke. And I'm going to ask one more time that we look at the text of Luke and read through it, this time beginning in verse 16. 
So Luke chapter 12, verse 16. There we read, And he, Jesus, and he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns, and I'll build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. For they neither sow nor reap, they have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them how much more valuable you are than the birds. And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, but I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. If God so clothes the grass in the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink. Do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your Father knows that you need these things. But seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which you do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. This text does not just call us to rid ourselves of anxiety, but it is a call to God's children for a a paradigm replacement. What do I mean by that? As long as we accept the prevailing cultural perspective, particularly found in, in the Western world, that we work to have things that who you are is defined by the house you have or the clothes you wear, the car you drive, or the food you eat. And that one of the goals you have for working is to amass a a huge retirement so that you can spend your final days in, in whatever nice place that you consider the best to retire in, then you can never get rid of anxiety. And at the same time, those who don't have much find themselves anxious for different reasons, right? While, while the wealthy are anxious that what they have will be taken away, those who have little are anxious that they will have what they need for the next day. But Jesus himself is here telling us not to be anxious, and that is because an anxious attitude is rooted in a lack of faith. Look at verse 28. Jesus has just given several commands not to fear, right? These these are not just recommendations that Jesus thinks would be a good idea. Hey, just, you know, don't worry about it. No, these are commands. Verse 22, do not worry. It's an imperative. It's a command. At the end of verse 28, Jesus says, you of little faith. And so my question for this text is, how is worrying, how is anxiety, how is fearing connected to a lack of faith? I think at least for two reasons. First, it is a distrust or a lack of faith in God. Jerry Bridges, speaking of giving way to anxiety, says this, Quote, I am, in effect, believing that God does not care for me and he will not take care of me in this particular circumstance that triggers my anxiety of the moment. 
So part, part of this anxious, fearful attitude is rooted in a distrust of God that He does not care for you and does not seek your good. But secondly, it is tied into a lack of faith because it demonstrates that we have not yet accepted God's providence in our lives. God is absolutely sovereign over His creation. Right? We say that a lot. What does it mean? What does it mean when we say that? It means that not a single molecule in the whole universe moves outside of His will. It means that God has decreed from eternity whatsoever comes to pass. Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery. Their hearts were evil. But in the end, Joseph recognizes that God was the one who brought him there to save many people alive. In Acts 4, 27 and 28, we read there a part of this prayer to God in which the people say this, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So God is sovereign over everything. To be anxious, to be fearful of what is coming, or, or even in your current situation, is to reject God's providence for your life. It's, it's to think, there is no way this is going to work out for my good. It's to say, if I were God, I would have done it a different way. That's a very dangerous attitude to have. We, what we need to fight fear, what we need to fight anxiety, is not, here are five easy steps for an anxious-free life. That's not what we need. Rather, we need a radically new paradigm about life itself. And so for the rest of, this, rest of the morning, I want to help you fight anxiety, to fight worry, to fight fear by helping to construct this biblical paradigm of life from this text in uh, Luke that we just read. So here we go. We're just going to kind of go through the text. First... Life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Right, that's in verse 23. Have you ever noticed that's an odd statement that Jesus makes here in 23? Jesus says, don't worry about food or clothing, for life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. No, Jesus. I'm pretty sure that is what life consists of, because if you don't have food, you starve and you die. You don't have clothes, you freeze and you die. So what does Jesus mean? What is he saying? I think he means that we need to have a more biblical view of what life really consists of. If life is more than food and clothing, then when all of that is stripped away, when you have nothing and you die, you have not yet been robbed of your true life. There is a, a resurrection life, an imperishable body that awaits. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, so it is with the resurrection of, of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. That is why not a few verses prior to this in Luke, in Luke 12, 4, Jesus says, don't fear those who kill the body, and that's all they can do. What do you mean, Jesus, that's all they can do? They take your life from you. You need a new understanding of life then, Jesus says. 
because you need not fear them, but rather fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. So here is why your life is more than food and, or clothing. Because if you believe in Jesus, if he has borne the wrath of the Father in his body on your behalf, so that if, if food and clothing and everything else is stripped away and you die, you have nothing to fear. You are welcomed into the presence of God where there is fullness of joy. And one day... You will receive your resurrection body, and you will reign with him forever. I hope you can see that today. I don't want to give you a cheerleader message. Hey, don't worry, be happy. You know, don't be anxious, you can do it. I want you to see that any grounds you have for being anxious and worrying is gone because Christ has what because of what Christ has done for you and your status as a citizen of God's kingdom. And so life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Second, consider the ravens. Look at verse 24. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. How does that help us not to be anxious? In two ways, I think. First, God's sovereignty, and second, our redemption. First, when when a bird eats, when she finds a worm in the ground, it is because God has given that worm to that bird at that moment. When you watch one of those wildlife shows and and you, you see the, the lion chasing down the zebra, and it tackles the zebra and is you know, starting to tear it apart, and we all feel really bad because the zebra is cute and we don't want it to die. God has given that zebra to that lion at that moment. And so if God provides food for these animals whose heart and voice cannot give thanks and praise to him, will not the sovereign Lord of heaven take care of you then? Secondly, Jesus says after that, how much more valuable you are than the birds. Well, in what way are you more valuable? Yes, humanity is the pinnacle of creation. Yes, he's been made in the image of God. Yes, we of all creatures have the ability to vocalize our thanks and praise from a heart of gratitude to God. But for the believer, for for the one who has placed his or her faith in Jesus, you have been purchased by the blood of Christ. Your body is not your own. You were bought with a price, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. And so if God sent his son to purchase your body, to purchase our lives with the blood of his son, will he not take care of his people? Will not these things be a small thing compared to the shedding of Christ's blood on our behalf? So don't be anxious, Jesus says. Don't worry. Look at the ravens. Well, third, third, worrying is pointless. It's pointless. Look at verses 25 and 26. And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? So does worrying accomplish anything? Does it make our circumstances change? If you're worrying about food, does being anxious increase how long you'll live without it? No, it's pointless. It does nothing but demonstrate that in your heart there still remains this distrust in God. Jesus then says this, 
If then you cannot do even a very little thing. I take that to mean that Jesus regards adding a single hour to one's lifespan a small thing. And indeed, for him, it is a small thing. Paul says of Christ, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And so here, the the one who created the universe, a trillion stars in a million galaxies, who created things that we can't even see, says, adding a single hour to your lifespan is nothing. I can do it. So why are you worrying? Are you trying to preserve your life by worrying? Life is more than food. And so we must learn to master our emotions in light of the truths of Scripture. We must preach these truths to ourselves at those moments when we are most anxious and remind ourselves that all things were made by Christ and that He is the one for whom adding an hour to our lifespan is nothing and we can't even do that. So why are we worrying? Fourth, consider the lilies. Consider the lilies. Look at verses 27 and 28. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, but I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? How does considering the lilies help us not to be anxious? In two ways, similar to the ravens, but not the same. They're similar, but but not the same. First is God's sovereignty, which is similar to what we saw with the, the ravens. But second is your immortality. The God of the Bible is concerned over his creation. The beauty, the, the order of creation is all a reflection of his nature. The the great King Solomon, with all of his money and all of his servants, could not fashion clothing as majestic as what you would see in in so many parks in Ireland, or even as you drive around Kentucky. There are so many beautiful places around here. God has clothed all of this in such splendor, and yet it all dies away. It dies in the cold. It's dug up for fuel. It doesn't last So if God is going to clothe an insignificant thing like a flower with beauty that will perish, will he not take care of you whose life will go on and on? The flower dies and ceases to exist. You may die, but that's not the end. Will not God take care of you then? And Jesus ends with this, O you of little faith, Let me say that in a positive way. Trust him. Believe him. God is more for your good than you are. So trust him. Fifth, your father knows. Look down to verses 29 and 30. And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink. Do not keep worrying. For all these things the Gentiles of the world eagerly seek. But your Father knows that you need these things. As citizens of 
the kingdom of God, the one who spoke and created everything that is non-God, that the one that the psalmist says owns a cattle on a thousand hills, that one we can address as Father. And He knows that you are in need of certain things. He's not blind to our trials. He's not otherwise preoccupied with some other part of the creation taking away His attention from from you. Every need of every single one of his children is before him constantly. And he says, don't worry. I know. I know. Some of you may remember that uh, I used to live in Japan uh, when I was in the Air Force. And when I first moved to Japan, I took a tour of the area. And on this tour, they took us to a Shinto temple and the guide is kind of telling us the things that are in this temple, and one of the things that he pointed us to was this uh, seat next to a gong, kind of in the middle of it. And the, our guide instructed us that the monks would come here, and before they would pray, they would bang this gong to make sure that their God was awake to hear their prayers. Christian, your God is not sleeping. In fact, he knows what you need before you do. The Lord of the universe will give you what you need. But why would he do that? I want you to notice this change as to how God is, is addressed here in this passage. In verse 24, we read, God feeds the ravens. In verse 28, God clothes the grass in the fields. But here in verse 30, Jesus says, your father knows. It is not a distant and callous God who knows that you need, have a need, but may or may not act. It is your heavenly Father. He knows that through faith in Jesus, you have been adopted by God himself. Paul says in Galatians 4, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. In Christ, you have been made a son a son of God, and that's important because it was the firstborn son that would receive the inheritance. Through faith in Jesus, you have been united to him so that you are co-inheritors, co-heirs with Christ. That means the Father is going to give you much more than just food or clothing. You are adopted sons and will receive an inheritance from the creator himself. And as proof, as down payment of that, of that coming inheritance, we have received the Holy Spirit. So the chain of reasons as to why we don't need to be anxious, why we we don't need to fear, actually come at us from two different directions. We've got the first is an argument from the lesser to the greater, right? God takes care of the birds. He dresses the flowers. How much more valuable you are than they. So don't worry. He's going to take care of you. And then the second comes at us from the greater to the lesser. God is your father. You have an imperishable kingdom and an imperishable inheritance coming. Why would he not give you these lesser things? And then he goes on to say in verse 30, For all these things the Gentiles of the world eagerly seek. These Gentiles, these nations, nations of the world, what are they focused on? 
They are focused on pursuing these things. They are thing seekers. Their hope of life is found in the unwavering commitment that their life is about the attainment of things which they think will keep them alive. But Jesus says, you're not like them because God is your father. And he knows what you need. So you can let go of this anxiety about the future and be fearless for a single-minded pursuit of something else, of something better, of something greater. And what is that? Well, sixth, seek his kingdom. We are not to be like the Gentiles who are things seekers. So what are we to do? What kind of seekers are we to be? Look at verse 31. But seek his kingdom. Christians are not to worry, to be anxious, because our main pursuit in this life is not things, even the things of necessity for life. We are first and foremost to be kingdom seekers. We don't have to be anxious about these other things because the life of the Christian is not characterized by their pursuit. Rather, we are to seek his kingdom. Graham Goldsworthy uh, describes God's kingdom as God's people and God's place under God's rule. It is a pursuit to know our Father, to know His will for us, and to live in accordance with that will. But you can't do this if, if you're not studying His Word. You can't live under His rule if you don't know what His rule is. We must be people of the book. By pursuing God's kingdom, or pursuing God's kingdom, is also pursuing God in Christ. We are not to be anxiously pursuing food, but we are to taste and see that the Lord is good. We are not to worry about clothes, what we will wear, but we are to clothe ourselves. We are to put on the new man, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth, Paul says in Ephesians. And so we must have this single-minded focus of pursuing the kingdom. And having that mindset, Jesus says, and all these things will be added to you. Your Father will provide what you need. He will take care of you. He will only do good for you. So here is my question for this verse. How then are we to understand this verse in light of those who are seeking God's kingdom and at the same time are hungry? They're fleeing from their homes. or They've been killed. Is God providing for them? Or if they have been killed, did God really take care of them? And the answer to all those questions, and many more like them, is yes, God took care of them. But they lost their life. It is sad, and it is our loss, but it is their gain. Instantly, they see Christ. If we see others in need, it is our duty to help, to provide food and clothes and to provide money for strangers in another country so they can get a car, a driver's license. But do not think that God has abandoned his children if from our perspective it might look like they are lacking or suffering. God is working in a thousand ways in such circumstances to bring about his glory and our good so life is more than food and clothing. And so when we see someone in the Middle East pursuing God's kingdom, taking the gospel to unreached people groups, and we see the next day that they are killed, 
Did God take care of them? He did. And now they have much more than you have right now. Well, seventh and lastly, you get a kingdom. Verse 32 says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. So why aren't we to be anxious? Why aren't we to be fearful about food or clothing? Because you get a kingdom. Who's worried about food and clothes when you've got a kingdom coming? Not only do you get it, but it is the Father's good pleasure to give it to you. This word good pleasure is the same word that we see being used in Jesus' baptism, where where he says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Father is pleased. He is well pleased to give you this kingdom. Listen to these words by uh, Pastor John Piper. He says, the kingdom of God is a gift, not a purchase. It's given, not earned. But it is a gift to those who want it more than they want things. It is a gift to those who seek it more than they seek things. It is a gift to those who fear missing it more than they fear not having earthly security. It's a gift to those who trust the king more than the dollar. And as down payment for this eternal inheritance, you have been given the Holy Spirit. And so the rest will follow. Well, let me end now with this radical statement that Jesus concludes with. Because if all of that wasn't radical enough, Jesus concludes with this, this crazy statement in verses 33 and 34 about how living in light of receiving this kingdom not only removes all grounds for anxiety, but reshapes how we view the, the necessary things of this world. All right, listen to what he says here. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes in nor moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you see how crazy that is? That is it's insane. That's crazy. Don't be anxious about what you will eat or what you will wear. You are inheritors of a kingdom. Now go sell all your stuff and give to the poor. Who thinks like that? That's crazy. Jesus is not trying to give you a few encouraging words about how not to be anxious. He is providing a radical worldview where being anxious doesn't make sense in light of the truths that he's just expounded and where people are giving away their money right and left. That's craziness. If life is more than food and clothes... If your life does not end in death, if God is absolutely sovereign, if you have been purchased by the blood of Christ, if you have been able to call God your Father, if He knows what you need, and if He is pleased to give you the kingdom, then what are you worried about? Use your resources for the spread of the gospel. Give to missions, give to the church, help the poor, help the widows. Use your resources to advance the gospel, and in so doing, you will store up treasure in heaven, and where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All the major powers of this world may be anxious and fearful about what is going to happen this year or in the future. They've got everything to lose, power, authority, influence, economy, face in the world. And we saw earlier that apparently if you're not anxious in 2017, you're abnormal. Christians, 
be abnormal then. Because you are co-heirs with Christ and there is no grounds for your anxiety. The king of the universe still sits on his throne and he cannot be moved. And if you believe in Christ, then you call God Father and he knows what you need. And that may be different than what you want. He knows what you need, even if that means death. Death is not your father failing to give you what you need. It is him preparing you to give you a million times more than you could ever have in this life. Death is instant gain. Let us strive to be rooted then in the kingdom of God and not be anxious, not worry, not be fearful. Because life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, help us to have this, this paradigm in our lives so that we can fight anxiety. Help us to see that we are co-heirs with Christ, that you are pleased to give us a kingdom, that all grounds for fear and anxiety and worrying is gone. Help us to look to Christ. Help us even as we go throughout our daily lives to look at creation around us and realize that there are a million different things pointing to your sovereignty, your love, and that we don't have to worry. And help us, Lord, not to turn inwards, but to look out to Jesus and to see him there who made an end of all our sin and who calls us to hear, your Father knows what you need. So don't worry. Now go sell all your stuff and be radical for Jesus, for the gospel and for the kingdom of God. Help us to have that attitude, Lord. We want that attitude. Help us to pursue it, to believe it. And may you do many things the glory of Christ through this church who is willing to be crazy and abnormal and radical because of what Christ has done for us and because of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.